Before I start the show, just a couple notes here about New West Summit on October 14th in Oakland. I'll be doing a, a couple different things, moderating a panel on the delivery sector uh, with the CEO of both Ease and Meadow, as well as a couple others. So delivery wars on display there should be a lot of fun. I'm also going to be emceeing the pitch competition for Gateway. The winner of that competition uh, gets a $10,000 investment from Gateway. It's going to be really fun, fast-paced thing. So if you want to just come out and watch kind of a Shark Tank style event, that's going to be a lot of fun too. October 14th in Oakland. I think we have a 50% off code. Uh, Use the code IC uh, for New West Summit and I'll see you there, guys. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Investing in Cannabis. Great show on tap today. We have Joel of Baker. Baker is a suite of products for dispensary owners. They've seen some tremendous traction, raised some good money, are installed in almost 500 dispensaries now. Uh, We talk a lot about software, Uh, whether you should integrate with other products, whether you should offer things a la carte. Of course, their partnership with OnFleet, my other gig. Uh, They've been called the Salesforce or the Shopify of cannabis. I ask them exactly what that means. Uh, Great discussion, guys. Really sharp founder. You're going to learn a lot. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Well, Joel, thanks so much for being on the show. Really excited. Uh, on Fleet, which is my other gig, and Baker are very close partners, share a number of customers. So it's good to finally connect. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So you are in a very crowded space. I think that's where we'll start here. There's a lot of companies that are vying to be, I've seen you called the Shopify of cannabis, the Salesforce of cannabis, but why don't we just start with uh, how would you describe what Baker does? It's huh, a great question. Well, I think, uh, you know, as nice as it is to be compared to Shopify, which is a $7 billion publicly traded Canadian company <laughs> yeah. or, or Salesforce, um, you know, I, I think Baker is a product that's designed specifically for the cannabis industry. And uh, as a result, we can't quite be the, the X for cannabis because cannabis is unique in so many ways. And uh, one of the things that Baker does is we're built for the ground up specifically for this industry. Uh, sorry if that's a, a lame answer, but, you know, we, we built Baker to solve a challenge that we saw in the specifically in the cannabis space. And, you know, our goal as a software platform is to help dispensaries figure out who their customers are, what they like, and how to keep them coming back. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's an important distinction, though. It's not a lame answer because there's a there's a number of legacy softwares in the cannabis industry that have been repurposed uh, from other sort of former softwares out there, right? Somebody said, well, I, I make accounting software, so it's easy to make dispensary software, right? Um, and, and that's sort of the big difference here is there there's a group of companies, including yourself, that have really like been born out of the cannabis industry. And that makes all the difference when it comes to designing software. Um, is, that what, is that what you find? I mean, how much of like cannabis specific knowledge goes into to building this product? Yeah, I think you nailed it. That's exactly right. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who try to make outside software fit this unique industry. Uh, and it's sort of a square peg round hole. And cannabis has a number of unique challenges, uh, you know, whether they're regulatory uh, or, you know, just sort of the way the industry is, has shaked out that uh, don't allow for a perfect fit from from outside technology and so we've been able to find success by solving a specific need specifically for this industry and putting a great team of people uh together to do just that Mm -hmm. 
Awesome. And you've had uh, quite a bit of early success. I mean, uh, I think about 400 dispensaries on the platform today. Um, And the part that I found most intriguing about that is that 75% of the customers uh, use the entire platform. So they use the whole suite uh, of products, which we can get into in a few minutes. But I, I find this particularly interesting because um, I find that increasingly the world of software is sort of a la carte um, and where things are integrated with other services. And so I, I, I kind of want to get your your feeling, your strategy on this as to um, you know, when do you allow customers to do things a la carte? When do they use the entire platform? And why do you think they're opting in to use the entire platform, um, you know, as a whole? Sure. Great question. Well, I think it's probably closer to 500 than 400 now. Okay, uh, it's been, been a busy yeah. couple of weeks. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you know, when we started, uh, when we really sort of relaunched Baker as a B2B SaaS platform, and you know, would love to talk about that a little bit later too. Um, you know, one of the things we found was that a lot of dispensaries, you know, sort of knew they needed some things, but didn't necessarily knew they needed everything else. And rather than let them, you know, pick and choose a la carte, we we bundled Baker together as one platform. And you know, we said, listen, take what you want, don't use what you don't want. But our thesis is that by making it available to you at the same price point you will find that, hey, go figure, what we built is actually designed to work together. And using the entire suite of tools will really help you run your business more effectively. And that's exactly what we found. And um, as a result, we do have that extraordinarily high percentage of businesses that that take advantage of the entire platform. Um, Just recently, we have started to tier our platform and allow people to choose a la carte. But only once we've had, you know, enough market penetration that people know who we are and they know that we're not just trying to force feed them things that they don't need but they can look around and see some of the biggest dispensaries in the country using our platform and using the full suite of it and realize you know hey maybe there's something here yeah absolutely i mean to use a technology analogy it's sort of a apple versus android uh dilemma here you know uh, android may offer a little more flexibility and be more open but the idea is that apple's closed ecosystem provides a better experience overall and i think that's what you're saying here is that using them a la carte you can't guarantee necessarily the best results with whatever else they're integrated in with but rather by using the whole suite uh, the overall experience is just better. Is that exactly. What I'm yeah, that's exactly right. And yeah. we built it that way, right? We built the system, and we'll get into the components. But you know, having the the shopping cart is fantastic, and sending messages is great, and having loyalty is great. But when you capture data from loyalty and use that to send targeted messages, and use those messages to drive traffic to the shopping cart, now you've completed a loop, right? And that's how you really drive commerce and transaction, and that's where you really see the most value. Is there any concern that by customers sort of buying into the whole suite? that there's less emphasis on making each individual product as good as possible as opposed to having to compete in each individual vertical with with other companies? It's funny you say that. I would argue that we're one of the most focused companies um, in the industry in that, you know, yes, there are three components to our technology, but keep in mind there are other companies out there, take points of sale, for instance, that are doing seat-to-sale tracking, government reporting, compliance, inventory management, and the three things that we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have other businesses out there that you know are also sort of uh, boiling the ocean, so to speak. And you know, we get asked all the time, "Hey, are you building a point of sale too?" Or, "Hey, can you also do this?" Or, "Hey, can you, you know, take OnFleet for example?" "Hey, will you build me delivery management?" "No, yeah. we'd, we'd love to outsource that and and you know partner with someone who can handle that." "Hey, will you build a point of sale?" "No, but we're happy to integrate with you know the best points of sale in the industry to allow that uh, platform to to work together." And so. Um, I guess it depends how you look at it, but yeah, in my opinion, we are 
we have been very hyper focused for the last year and a half just on that core suite of products and um you know i think that's been part of the reason we've been able to grow so quickly yeah i wonder how founders that have so many different offerings sleep at night because <laughs> at on fleet uh, I mean, we're so hyper-focused on just delivery, and people often ask us for HR products or, uh, you know, shift scheduling products or, you know, invoicing, all these other kind of ancillary things, and we're like, no, guys, you don't get it. Like, we're doing the delivery portion the best. Um, and I think that's sort of hard for people to understand that haven't worked in a in a software business or be close to it. Uh, I mean, how have you decided sort of what to pick? Maybe this is a good opportunity to get into exactly the the different products but you're right you have sort of limited it versus uh making it broader so let's talk about them a little bit the online ordering piece um which which works particularly well with with onfleet that's where the integration shines what about it do you think is best in class i mean when you thought about that online ordering piece you know what's better than the there's a lot of options out there, right? There's, there's a lot of other options. So why, why is you the best, I guess? Sure. Well, before we get there, maybe, you know, talk about sort of where Baker is today as a B2B company. And you asked, you know, how we decided to build what we've built. Yeah. Um, if I may, maybe tell a quick 30-second history of, ahead, of yeah. Baker and how yeah. we got to where we are. And I think that sort of helps um, tell the story. Um, we started with online ordering, right? So back in you know, 2014, Colorado, first state to go recreational. Uh, flood of new customers to the market, lots of tourists going to Colorado, long lines everywhere. Um, at the time, I was living in New York City. I ordered every single one of my meals from Seamless Web, uh, mm-hmm. as did most guys who were single in their 20s, yep. <laughs> who worked a lot. And we saw an opportunity to sort of bring that and be Seamless Web for cannabis. And so, you know, the same way you logged on to Seamless Web, browsed multiple restaurants, looked through the menu, placed an order, and then you were able to skip the line. That's what we started with. And so that was our original online ordering platform for Colorado. Mm-hmm. And we, we launched it in late, late 2014. Throughout 2015, had some success with it. It was working with Native Roots and a couple other bigger stores um, that you know liked the platform and there was a need there. But we recognized that there was a bigger problem in the industry that was available for, you know, for us to solve or, or to be solved. Uh, and that was, there was a lot of B2C companies out there. You have you know, more dispensaries than Starbucks and 7-Elevens combined in cities like Denver and Portland. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everyone's competing for the end customer. You have listing sites like Leafly and Weed Maps and Pot Guide and Sticky Guide and Leaf Buyer and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone was fighting for the end customer. And so rather than be another sort of B2C site out there that needed to acquire those customers first, we saw a real opportunity to be a B2B platform and really help these dispensaries uh, build their own brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in order to stay competitive, a lot of these dispensaries were offering significant discounts, uh, advertising on many of those listing sites, doing great deals to try to drive foot traffic in the door. But the same way that we saw Groupon go through a phenomenon where you know the local barber offers a five dollar haircut, a hundred people come into a store for the haircut. A month later, only three of them come back for a second one, mm. right? And so all the barber did was give away a bunch of free haircuts. He wasn't actually building his right. business long term. That's what we were seeing on the dispensary side, right? Guys were offering. $15 eighths. Well, great. You get 100 people in who buy the $15 eighth, but next week they go to the next store that's mm-hmm. doing it. They weren't actually coming back. And so we saw this opportunity for customer retention. And we started with our first core product, which was the online ordering. And so, you know, that was an easy decision. We already had it. We knew these stores needed a way to um, allow commerce with their customers to, to build that relationship with them and let them skip the line. Um, the next thing they needed to know was who were these customers, right? People would come in, especially in a rec market. You walk in, 
you scan your ID, but when you leave, that data is, uh, is wiped from the system, right? So a customer walks in, pays with cash, and leaves. You have no idea who just came into your store, mm-hmm. and you have no way of getting them back unless you do another advertisement. And so that's where the loyalty tool is born. So it was that opportunity to capture that customer data and then also entice that customer to come back a second time with that reward. Uh, and then the third part is the messaging, and that's how you how do you reach out to that customer, right? Once they've come in and engaged on the platform and left, how do you re-reach out to them directly without paying for advertising? And that's sort of the messaging component. And so long-winded answer to your question of how do you figure out what to build, you know, we sort of, we didn't just sit around and think it up, right? We were working with our clients and solving their needs and, and the core platform, the Baker CRM that we've built, even though it is, quote, you know, three different pieces of technology, in my mind, it really is one. It is a customer, you know, engagement, retention, and communication platform. Uh, and that's what we've built. I want to talk a little bit about what you mentioned first about sort of this being this group of people that are just deal chasers. Um, and, and retailers hate them, right? Anybody that used Groupon in the past, and, and like you said, they get an influx of people and then not a lot of return visitors. Uh, how big do you think that group is? You know, do you, do you have any data to support how much loyalty is there to individual dispensaries, I suppose? there's no clean answer because it, you know, the answer is it depends and it depends on a lot of things, right? It depends on the market. Um, so obviously California is different than Colorado, which is different than Washington. Uh, and also those markets have changed over time, right? So when Colorado first went wreck and people were trying all different dispensaries and tourists were in town and they were going to, you know, stop by two or three different ones because you don't want to go to the same store all three times on your vacation the same way you don't eat at the same restaurant all three times when you're in a new city. Um, and so those people were deal chasing and people new to the market were deal chasing. And I think as, as markets mature, um, we see that slow down a little bit, but it really depends. Uh, and it, it uh, you know, I don't think it'll ever go away completely. Uh, I think the total number of dispensaries that people shop at decreases over time. You know, maybe you have your one near work and your one near home <laughs> um, or, you know, or you're a loyalist and you go out of your way. But yeah. we still hear stories all the time. I was at lunch today with someone who talked about when they do a, a huge discount or a giveaway on their product and it's a, a vape cartridge, they have people that drive over an hour to come take advantage of that deal. Now, you, know, you think of the gas money and the time alone, yeah. right? But the reality <laughs> is, is there's still a lot of people out there for whom you know, a $60 cartridge that's free, like that's a great deal. And if you really want that, you're going to go out of your way to do that. Mm-hmm. And so um, I really don't think it is it is gone. Yeah, no, I don't think it's gone either. And I think that's largely a, a lot of the success that Ease has seen um, with their sort of SMS combination with deals. Certainly in the Bay Area, people are inundated with these things. And I want to talk about sort of the SMS. Uh, you have very, very high read rates for, for text promotions, as do most. Is there pushback there as to that's annoying? You know, do people want that in their in their text that there's a deal on a pre-roll this week? You know, what what are your thoughts on on the invasiveness of of SMS? Sure, it's a great question. Well, I think it's not just SMS in general, but SMS is on your phone, which is much more personal than an email, right? And so it can mean you either engage with it much more and you're happier about it, or it can mean it's more offensive to you and you're more likely to be turned off. Um, one of the things that, that Baker does is we enable our dispensaries to send targeted messages to customers based on interests. So instead of texting your 10,000 person customer base on Wax Wednesday that it's buy one get one grams of concentrate, we know that only 30% of your customers like concentrate, mm. which means you are spamming 7,000 of your customers with the message they don't care about. Mm. And that makes them more likely to unsubscribe and, and you know disengage from your brand moving forward. 
And so with Baker, we really encourage our clients to use filters um, or a combination of filters to really target people based on specific products they like, specific product categories they like, uh, and really hit them with the right message. Because there's no such thing as spam if it's a product you're interested in sure. and it's coming to you at the right time of day. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, and how deep does that go? I mean, does that relate back to like, if I bought flowers yesterday, well, I'm probably not interested in uh, promotional text about flowers today. Is it? Does it go that deep as well? Yep. So it's um, we you know we, we we let customers sort of opt in and manage their preferences for which types of products they want to be notified by, um, and then yeah, our dispensaries have have filters where they can say message only people that haven't shopped in a day, seven days, two weeks, three weeks, um, you know, any different types of filters that they want, they can layer on top of each other to really get specific. Uh, you mentioned ease, right? I you know, spent a fair amount of time in San Francisco. I get a text from them almost every day. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's great. It's, you know, 15 bucks off your order. And, you know, sure, that's nice. But if I just bought yesterday, I probably don't want that the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if I get, you know, text for product categories that I don't really care about, you know, I am tempted to unsubscribe. And, you know, part of you maybe doesn't because you don't want to miss a deal later, but you do have that internal conflict. And, you know, with Baker, one thing we really encourage our clients to do is is be smart about when they're sending messages, how often they're sending messages, but also who they're sending messages to. Uh, and again, the same way you don't get an email from Amazon about a discount on diapers if you don't have a kid, right? They right. know too much about you. You're never going to get that. And you only get, you know, deals about products you like. And as a result, they have an unbelievably low unsubscribe rate. And that's what we try to do at Baker. Uh, and I think that's the difference between feeling like a text message is invasive versus being excited because your favorite dispensary knows your favorite product is on sale today and they're letting you know about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the more personalized it is, uh, the less invasive it is, right? Basically, I think we see that across the boards with a lot of products. If it makes sense for you and you actually want that thing, then you're you're delighted to receive that text <laughs> or email, right? You, you want to see that. Um, very interesting the way you guys have gone, uh, gone about thinking about it. Um, Cool. The other products in there are some analytics, which we've talked about uh, a little bit sort of in in the other two phases. But um, what analytics are these dispensary uh, owners looking at? What's important to them? Uh, How much are they utilizing it? You know, there's this perception that cannabis is sort of old world and and offline. But, you know, how how important are those analytics to, to the business owners? That's definitely changing, right? Um, I think we're seeing a huge influx of people from traditional retail coming into the cannabis space. And these are people for whom data is really important. Uh, It's been a big part of their career, whereas maybe many of the early pioneers come from more of a cannabis background. And they were really good at growing it, and they were able to take the risk of opening up a store to sell it because that was a world they come from. But they're not as familiar with the traditional retail tools that, that exist. Um, And so I think we're seeing a a trend towards data. There's still a lot of people who maybe don't know what they're asking for or what they want, and they just know that data is important. But that's a good first step, right? And then we're also seeing stores that pay a ton of attention to what's going on and look at every single day all sorts of different trends. They look at which product categories are most popular. They look at busiest time of day and day of the week, and they use that to send messages on slower times to drive traffic to balance it out. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think... There's a really, really broad spectrum right now um, of our clients. And, um, you know, I think that, again, part of the reason we talked about to the beginning of the conversation is building a product specifically for an industry is building something that can accommodate such a wide range of um, business owners and, and suit their needs. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, I want to kind of get in the head of, of that ideal customer profile of that business owner. If they come to you and they say, hey, I really like this part of your product. I like this part of your product, but I really like Sticky Guides ordering. You know, I really like Meadows menu. Uh, what do you say? I mean, obviously, it's in your best interest to have them on the entirety of the platform. But, uh, you know, how do you break that out? How do, how do you have that conversation? Sure. Well, as you said, obviously, we're we're going to try to show them the benefits of, of using the platform together uh, and why sort of one plus one plus one equals five or six. Mm-hmm. Um, however, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's up to them to make their own decisions. And, and one thing that we've always prided ourselves on is being relatively agnostic to different software vendors out there and you know the same way we integrate with multiple points of sale we're happy to integrate with the tools that our clients want to run their business and we believe that you know a lot of people talk about trying to build a platform in this industry or that's sort of the something that we see is uh, sort of one of the new buzzwords but yep. we tr- we truly are trying to do that or doing that and by connecting hundreds and hundreds of dispensaries and the dozens of different tools that they use and building out a centralized place where they can manage their business we believe that's how we're going to be most successful so if that means some of our clients don't want to utilize the entire platform uh, but they like the fact that it connects their leafly and their weed maps and their point of sale and their other tool that they use great we're really happy to play that role for them yeah i think that's a good answer you have to prove value uh, by having the best offering Rather, rather than closing the system just for, for sake of strategy, I think. Um, strategy leads me into my next question here. Uh, you've, you've raised a, a good amount of money today uh, to date. March, you raised a 3.5. I think that goes with another, what, one or so, one and a half previously. Um, what do you do with that money? I mean, what, what is that money most necessary for in the, let's say, it's been six or eight months since you raised that money? Sure. Well, stay tuned for another funding announcement uh, probably in the next couple of weeks. Um, oh, we, awesome. yeah, we, you know, we want to build world class technology, and to do that, you need to hire world class developers, and that costs money. Uh, we were 18 people on January 1st. I think we'll be 40 people, um, you know, next week. Um, so that's that's where the money goes is, yeah. is is really hiring an amazing team and and not just developers and you know we do all our own development in-house we don't outsource anything uh, we have a fantastic dev team in Denver but we also have a really robust customer success team and we have people who walk our clients through the onboarding process and we have account managers who speak with them on a daily basis or a weekly basis to work with our customers to really understand their needs and help sh- make sure that they're using Baker effectively um, to go over their data with them to see, hey, here's what's going on. Here's what you can do to you know, improve uh, your margins based on you know what we can see from our platform. And so all of that's expensive. Um, and we're taking a long-term view to this industry. And the same way many VC-backed companies raise capital so that they can offer a really great product at a reasonable price and focus on growth and worry about being profitable later, that's what we're doing. And that's the reason we've raised money. Uh, it's not... You know, it's not just for, for no reason, right? There's a reason we're giving up a significant portion of our company for this cash, but it's so we can build something a lot bigger and not not charge four cents per text message uh, or, you know, have a platform that doesn't really solve our clients' needs but still try yeah. to charge them for it. And, uh, you know, I think ultimately building a good reputation and a good business is going to be far more valuable than trying to be profitable from day one. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Well said. Uh, you brought up sort of a venture and you guys do come from a more traditional uh, path than a lot of cannabis companies. You went through 500 startups. You have had access to more traditional technology capital. Uh, and I wonder, I've had a lot of investors on this show tell me that there's such a clear distinction between touching the plant and not touching the plant. Um, and do you find that it's been easier for you guys to attract investors and, and ultimately raise money because of that, because you're, you're strictly a software piece? Maybe. I, I think it's hard to raise capital in, in the cannabis space, period. I've met with some of the sort of biggest and best VC firms in the world, and many of them are still not quite ready to invest in cannabis, even yeah. a software business like mine that doesn't touch the plant. Um, so I don't know that it makes it that much easier, especially if you look at some of these large grow operations that have raised significant capital. You know, you see several in Canada that are publicly traded and uh, you know others. And the reality is, is if someone's comfortable with cannabis, they're comfortable with cannabis. And in something like a grow or real estate where there's hard assets and a lot of cash flow is probably an attractive investment. Mm -hmm. um, whereas something like Baker almost falls in the middle, right? Where on one hand, we're still too cannabis for you know mainstream Silicon Valley, but we're a little too tech focused for someone who's more of a pure you know yep. cannabis investor, right? Where maybe they don't fully understand the SaaS model. They're not under you know getting how you value a company that's doing, you know, month, you know focusing on you know, monthly recurring revenue uh, as opposed to, you know, more of a you know, giant cash crop basis. And so uh, I think most people in the cannabis space right now are having a harder time raising capital than sort of the outside world thinks. Yeah. And I think so much of that has to do, look, you don't directly touch the plant, uh, but the success of your company is really the linchpin here is whether or not cannabis as a whole grows as a business um, and the companies that touch the plant directly influence the way you grow uh, you know how how nervous are you about the current environment uh, either nationally Trump sessions but also on a more local level you know how closely do you pay attention to what's happening in California and, and new laws things like that I mean uh, I guess give your your state of the industry a little bit you know there's a lot of people that are afraid a lot of people sure. that are afraid yeah I mean I think anyone in cannabis whose livelihood depends on cannabis pays attention to the news more than maybe others yeah. um, because you have to that said you know at a macro level I don't lose sleep about it. Uh, hmm. The reality is, is that I personally believe that there are way too many jobs, um, way too many dollars <laughs> that states are getting uh, in terms of tax, tax and revenue here, and uh, it, it would be very, very difficult for something to drastically change. Now, they could certainly make it harder for new businesses to to open and harder for new states to come online. Um, but you know, look at what the Attorney General of California uh, said the other day. Basically, like, good luck trying to stop me, right? Like they know they're 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 eyeing up hundreds of millions of dollars of tax revenue and tens of thousands of jobs, and they're gonna fight tooth and nail to make sure that uh, a Attorney General doesn't do something that's. By the way, um, you know the the significant majority of Americans believe that cannabis should be a state right, right? You yeah. know, on, 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 the, on the left side, you have people who see um, the value, the job creations, the fact that you're not putting people in jail, you know, nonviolent drug offenders in jail, which costs money, uh, and all the social aspects. And on the right, you have all the people who believe in states' rights and having a small government. And yeah. that leaves you with, you know, 67 plus percent of people who think that, you know, federal government shouldn't interfere with cannabis legislation. And 
you know, that's a pretty tough hill to, to overcome, uh, even for a determined attorney general. Yeah, no, uh, well said. You've had a lot of conversations um, with different investors, VCs, angels. Uh, How much does politics come up? You know, how much do you find yourself defending the cannabis industry as a whole versus pitching Baker? It's a good question. It's very funny. I think, you know, even in the last three years, I've seen a pretty big shift, right? Three years ago, I told people what I was doing. I got a lot of raised eyebrows. It really wasn't, you know, keep in mind. Colorado was the only state that had um, recreational cannabis. And so much has changed in the last three years, right? It was on the ballot of what, nine states last last election season. And you can't go 24 hours these days without seeing a national headline about it. And I think all that awareness you know, it's, it's all extraordinarily positive, right? It's not like you're reading in the news all the time about, oh, someone high crashed their car and killed a school bus full of children. Like, you're not seeing that, right? Yeah. You're not seeing, oh, someone was really high and shot up a school. Like you, but you're, you're not seeing, oh, like, states that legalize cannabis are seeing huge spikes in crime or, or, you know, increases in opioids, regardless of what the attorney general says. It's actually the opposite, right? Like, you know, all by bringing this to light, we're seeing more and more data that supports the legalization movement and, and legislation reform. And so I think that makes it a lot easier to talk about it. Uh, no longer are you really sort of defending the virtues of cannabis as much. I think it, it's pretty apparent. Uh, and now it's just talking about, you know, easing some concern about um, the federal government because investors do have some hesitation around that, um, but really more talking about your business. Oh, that that's good to hear. Um, that that's my shared perception, but but good to sort of affirm that. Um, another question: when you when you're talking to investors, um, we uh, we talked about at the beginning. There's a lot of competitors, and I'd be interested really first in who do you see as your biggest competitors, and second of all, how do you place yourself in the landscape for an investor that you know maybe isn't as savvy in the cannabis SaaS space. Sure. Well, if I may, uh, I'd like to add, ask you that first question in terms of who you think my biggest competitors are. Yeah. Um, well, it, it sort of breaks down depending on the products that we're talking about. But I think certainly Meadow uh, is a competitor of yours. Flow Hub seems like another uh, good quality competitor to yours. The drop off after that is probably... Um, pretty significant. But uh, do you share the, I mean, depends, uh, again, the technologies that you work with, they could easily sort of branch out. So green bits come to mind, that's a POS, but they could easily sort of expand into other things that you do as well. Um, but yeah, I think that's the list. I think that's off the top of my head. Yeah. Sure. Well, FlowHub and, and GreenBits are both points of sale. Uh, we actually have integrations with both of them. Um, FlowHub does not have the same core uh, platform as we do. I'm very good friends with Kyle, their CEO, and we talk uh, at length about deepening the integration between our two platforms. Um, because if you go back to the earlier in the conversation, we talked about being focused, FlowHub spends a ton of time integrating with Metric, right? At the end of the day, they're a compliance tool and mm-hmm. their core value to their dispensaries is we make it really easy for you to stay compliant with the state and to handle that reporting and to sync everything in the cloud, to track everything in your grow room, to manage your inventory, to manage your patients and report uh, in a compliant manner on that. To do all of that, plus build world-class e-commerce and loyalty and a targeted messaging platform is, is quite frankly, more than they can handle, and they're aware of that. Yeah. Um, and you know, just recently, we announced publicly our integration on our respective Instagram accounts and social accounts, uh, and we share a number of clients who are excited to use the two platforms in conjunction. Um, likewise with GreenBits, we have an integration with GreenBits. Uh, and again, you know, there are several things that, that we offer that they don't do, and they're focused on, on doing what they do. 
um, and we're focused on doing what we do. And together, we provide a great customer experience. And so, you know, are there some points of sale out there that offer loyalty or e-commerce or messaging? Absolutely. Do most of those still integrate with Baker? Absolutely. Um, will there be small stores that you know for whom um, the the free version that comes with the point of sale is sufficient? Sure, a hundred percent. And you know what? That's great. Um, but you look at clients like Native Roots or Harborside, uh, you know, really large businesses or even smaller businesses, but for whom you know messaging and, and marketing is a real priority. They want something a little more robust and not just the sort of the free version that comes with their point of sale. And so. With that said, I, I actually wouldn't consider them direct competitors at all. Um, I consider them friends and partners, and you know we may lose a few customers to them every now and then, but for the most part, they're sending us a fair amount of business because they have clients on their platform who want more than they can offer, and they turn to us to help fill that gap. So is there somebody that I should have named then? You know, I mean, who have I left out here? No, I mean, listen, you're right. Meadow is a point of sale as well, right? Uh, they also do more of what we talked about in the beginning in terms of, um, you know, they have a website where customers can go and browse for products and place an order online. And I believe they take a percentage of that. And that's great. They're, you know, a source of customer acquisition for a dispensary. Uh, again, we're a customer retention platform. And so that's a little bit different. And so, you know, the reason I turned around that question and asked you is because a lot of people say, oh, yeah, well, aren't you a competitor with Leafly or with Meadow or with Flowhub or with this or with that? And, and the reality is, is most of the time the answer is no. Um, and I think that speaks to that. Our, our goal of being a platform, and we'd rather integrate and play nice with people and, and provide value where we can. Um, that said, there are a few services out there that do nothing but text messaging or nothing but loyalty or nothing but e-commerce uh, or some combination of those. And those people are more direct competitors. And you know that's fine, but to date, we haven't seen any of them grow as quickly or as nationally as we have. And so we consider ourselves market leaders. How difficult has it been to convince uh, found, or investors of that nuance in the industry? Uh, it depends how plugged into the industry they are. I, I think um, people from outside, you know, there's a learning curve to cannabis and the landscape and the players here. And we talked about it before where, you know, it's not just the Salesforce for weed and the Uber for weed and the Shopify for weed, right? It's, it's, it's a unique space. And so if people come in with that approach and they start saying, oh, well, are these guys your competitors or what do you do? It's, it's more difficult. Um, but if anyone has spent some real time in the industry and understands what each of these different tools offers and what makes the cannabis landscape unique, um, then it's a lot easier. Yeah, I guess you could always point them to this episode in the future, too. If you, uh... <laughs> That's great. That's right. I'll have, I'll have it bookmarked. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, you know, I kind of just want to to wrap up a little bit here with uh, with sort of some looking towards the future, some predictions. Is there a, a metric? You know, how do you measure your company? You said you're about to close another round of funding, which you obviously can't disclose at this moment, although I'd love for you to. Uh, you know, what, what does the future look like uh, in a year? I won't say in five years, but in a year, you know, how many dispensaries can you have? What, what's the metric that you look to? Well, my main metric is revenue, because uh, at this point we are generating revenue. We're excited by the revenue we're generating, and, and that's my core metric. Uh, unfortunately, that's not a metric I can share with the audience here, yeah. uh, but that is our key metric, right? And, and as any SaaS company, software as a service, we track MRR, which is what is our current monthly recurring revenue. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's you know the number of dispensaries out there and what they're paying per month. Um, and that's that's really our core metric, and that's what we what we strive for. Now, the ways that we increase MRR um, is either a add new customers to the platform, and so that's something we're actively working on, and have you know a sales team and um, spend a lot of time and energy going out and, and getting more businesses on the platform. Um, 
And the second is is charging more per customer. And that's also something we're working on. And that's building better and better technology that generates more and more revenue for the customer and for the dispensary so that they're comfortable paying for, for our software. And you know, my my sort of mantra is there's no such thing as expensive software. Uh, it's just software that doesn't deliver enough value, right? Mm-hmm. So when we started, we were at $99 a month. And for some customers, that was very expensive. And for others, they were able to see that they generated a lot more than that. You know, now our average customer is paying seven times that. Mm-hmm. But the value that they generate from it is still exponentially greater than what they're spending on it. And yep. so I'd love to get to the point where I can charge $10,000 a month for my software because it's generating eighty dollars or $100,000 in revenue for my customer. And then it's still not expensive. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. How do you know when to uh, increase prices? You know, uh, how do you know when to do a price change? Good question. Well, you know, I think we're we're fortunate in that our platform is so rooted in the data uh, of of what we're doing, and we have a pretty clear ROI that we're able to measure. Um, we can see how many messages a dispensary sent out. We can see what the click through rate was. We can see what the conversion rate was. We can see how many of those customers ended up placing an order. We can see how many were driven to the store. We can see how frequently customers are coming in and engaging on the platform. And with all that data, we can look at the revenue that these dispensaries are able to attribute to Baker uh, and see what that increase is uh, from a baseline before. And so then the question is, you know, how do we help them make more and more money? And then from there, we can feel comfortable raising our prices. But what I tell our clients is I always want Baker to be a no-brainer, right, mm-hmm. when it comes up for renewal. Now, not everyone's going to see the value um, in that first pitch meeting when we're trying to sell them because they don't know us. They haven't used it. But after six months or 12 months on the platform, when it comes time to renew their contract, I want it to be a no-brainer. And if they're hesitating, that means it's too expensive. Yep. Yep. Got it. Uh, I want to shift gears just uh, for the last couple of minutes here. I love to connect sort of the important, sophisticated work you do during the day with sort of the person you are the, or the kind of cannabis consumer that you are. Uh, you know, when uh, when the day is winding down or, or maybe after lunch, I guess people think about it differently in the cannabis <laughs> industry from time to time. What, what do you like to enjoy? You know, what flowers, uh, dabs, what are you into? Yeah, so uh, I'm definitely not an after lunch kind of guy because I won't get anything done the rest of the day. Yep. Um, for for me, I, I don't really enjoy cannabis in, in too social of a setting. Um, it's, it's more of like a me time. So, you know, you're at all these industry events and people are passing around vape pens or joints. And for me, I, I'm, I've never been extraordinarily uh, social <laughs> when I'm enjoying cannabis. And so yep. for me, it is more of that. You know, replacement of a glass of wine or compliment for a glass of wine at the end of the day when you want to sort of turn down your brain or maybe a lazy Sunday when you don't feel like doing a whole heck of a lot or you have some chores or laundry to do. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I love uh, I love low dose edibles. Um, I think uh, uh, I, I like uh, mints and uh, other things that sort of disintegrate quickly and come on a little faster uh, as opposed to like a chocolate where I eat it and then I wait around for an hour. And I'm not sure when exactly it's going to kick in. Um, I also like flour. Uh, I, I typically vape my flour um, in packs. Uh, and I have some, some, you know, some cartridges as well that, uh, that are convenient for travel. Do you ever find when you're at those events and there's large amounts of consumption uh, and you decline, do you ever get any shit for that? Do people ever say, hey, man, you're in the weed industry. What the fuck? You know, uh, you know less than you would think. I think I was nervous about it in the beginning. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of people in this industry, they understand that, you know, cannabis, most people have a, a relatively personal relationship with cannabis. And, it, you know, it sometimes can sound corny, but the reality is, is like, I think it's very different than something like alcohol, where if you drink, you're happy to drink out versus home. But people know that, 
you know, cannabis is, can be more than that, and it can impact people differently. And when I tell people that, you know, I'm not really a, a social smoker, you know, for me it's more of a, a personal thing that I, I like on the couch, most people are pretty quick to be like, oh, yeah, yep, I get that, or I'm like that too, sort of, or I used to be like that, or, you yeah. know, they, they understand. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think it's changing too, which is pretty awesome to see. There's uh, some real segmentation in terms of what consumers look like today. And, and that's that's a nice thing to see. It's nice to see it uh, being diversified here. Well, Joel, it's been awesome to have you on the show. Uh, what can our audience do for you? Are you hiring right now? Any positions that you have posted? Um, you yes. Know, yeah. What, we are, we are, are always for? hiring. I think there are probably seven or eight different job openings right now, ranging from our customer success team, uh, managing our clients and helping them use the platform, our sales team, uh, I think we're, we're hiring for a senior marketing person right now, our product team, UI, UX designers, uh, developers, front-end and back-end developers. So you name it. If, it, if it's a fit in the, uh, in the tech industry, there's a good chance we have a job opening for it. So please check us out. Tell a friend. Uh, we're based in Denver, Colorado, moving into a fantastic office pretty soon. And uh, yeah, we're about 40 people there on the ground and looking to be a lot more. Trybaker.com slash careers slash jobs. Where where would they find that? Yeah, right on right on the homepage. They can they, you know let's not confuse people. Just go to trybaker.com. You can click on company. You'll see a little bit about us. See the team, and uh, there'll be a link to the job page from there. We're also on AngelList if you search for Baker as well. Rad Joel. Well, thanks so much. It's been a great conversation, and uh, thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time.